This is the One in Three Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Alan Sternberg. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Pete Schmutty. Pete was the pastry chef at Cerulean in Indianapolis, where where I was the executive chef for... Uh, he was there the entire time that it was open, and I was there for you know the last three years or so. And we really kind of uh, grew together. I think we, we bounced a lot of ideas off of each other. Pete probably taught me more about food than anyone else I've ever worked with or with or worked for. He taught me kind of a whole new vocabulary of pastry. And, you know, we try to translate a lot of a lot of ideas uh, into reality, whether they were sweet or savory. And, you know, we just had a lot of good energy in that kitchen. And we questioned so many things and developed so many new things while we were there that it was just kind of, uh, you know, just probably my favorite time in my career was, was the years I spent there and, and the crews. And Pete was a big part of that. He was a, definitely a leader in that kitchen when I walked in the door and, and somebody that people knew and people respected. So, um, you know, I sat down with Pete probably two weeks ago at this point, and uh, we just had a chat at Leviathan Bakehouse. There's a little bit of background noise from traffic outside. And uh, at one point, there's a cooler that kicks on that we, we took out we took care of for the second half of that. So I apologize about that, but I don't think it's too distracting. And uh, yeah, just had a great conversation with a, a good friend of mine and I'm happy to share that with you. So here we go. All right. So today I'm sitting here inside Leviathan Bakehouse, a uh, new bakery from Pete Schmutty and gang. Um, got a couple owners with you guys. Yeah, we've got a few. Yeah. Uh, you want to run through them real quick? No, nah, no, not really. It's All not right. important. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, no, so there's me um, and my partners, uh, Jesse and Sam Blythe, the brothers, Jessica Kartowicz and Matt Steinbron. And I think one of the most interesting things is the fact that you guys have formed a, an ownership group with all five of you. And Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it, it shouldn't make sense. Yeah. Um, uh, there's there's so many things about what we've done that that don't make sense. It's not important. Let's yeah, we'll we'll get into it. <laughs> um, so today I'm joined by Pete Schmuddy, the well-known pastry chef and local legend. Local legend. That's what they call um, me at Indianapolis Monthly, and I I hear it all the time. Uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. So, so Pete and I have a little bit of a history together. Uh, we worked together at Cerulean for a long time. And um, after that, you went on to Beholder. But let's go back to the beginning. And, and how did you got into pastry? How did you got into food in general? Um, I didn't really pick the industry. Like a lot of people, the industry sort of chose me. Um, while I was working in uh, a little restaurant down in, in Bloomington and going to college, um, working towards my English composition degree. Uh, Relatable which, to yeah, what you're uh, doing now, I'm sure. Uh, a great, great use of my time. Um, 
and then eventually I kind of realized that I, I, I enjoyed spending time in the kitchen more than, than being in the classroom. Um, so eventually just kind of dropped out of school and at the age of, you know, 20, that's all I've done for the last two dozen years. I just had my 44th birthday a couple of weeks ago. So that's all I've done. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah. And you're in Bloomington. Um, I know you worked in some kitchens there and, and when did you go to pastry school? I didn't actually go to pastry until I had been in the industry um for about 10 years uh, so yeah it, it took me a hot minute to ever set foot in into a school um but yeah everything up to that point was all just industry experience and i you know it's the same thing that i tell everybody whenever they ask me you know where i went to school um that was literally a six-month program at this point you know it's a 24-year career so it's sort of a blip on the radar. I, I include it in with everything else, but uh, certainly not necessarily defining. And, and where was that though? French pastry school in uh, Chicago. Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. yeah, that was 2005. And I think I think more so than going to school, like it put you in Chicago and you definitely work for some good places in Chicago. It opened my eyes to a lot of things for sure. I mean, it, it put me in a position to work at a level that I was aware of. Um, but had not really done to that point. You know, I got to go work in some Michelin starred restaurants, um, kind of surround myself with a lot of talent um, and realize at that point uh, that I could contribute, not just hang, but contribute at a high level and, and in some great kitchens. Um, so that was, that was rewarding and eye-opening for sure. Now, I, I know because just again, we've been fairly familiar with each other for a long time, but yeah. you, you definitely have a lot of systems in place with the way you operate. Uh, I'd say you're fairly regimented. Did, did that come from there or was that kind of just something that was part of you? Honestly, I think it's just something that's sort of grown over time. Um, I think every place you go, you kind of take you, you see different things, you learn different ways of doing things. And then after a while, you sort of integrate it into what you do. Um, that's kind of the best way I know how to explain it. But yeah, I mean, definitely probably for the last six or eight years, I've, I've kind of fallen into a system that works pretty well for me. Um, at least, you know, doing what I was doing at the time, what we're doing now, um, some of it applies, some of it I've scrapped and kind of gone, gone back to, to basics and, and I'm figuring things out with how we're operating at the bakery now. Um, so when, when you were a young pastry cook, um, where would you see yourself? Did, are you where you thought you were going to be? Did I had you... no, no idea, no plans. Um, for me, a lot of it's just sort of been, been feeling it out and, and I guess kind of doing what comes naturally. I mean, sometimes you take a job because you need a job. Um, but that all kind of, it, it leads you to, you know, leads me to where I am today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a young pastry cook, I'm trying to remember those days and those jobs. I mean, I, like I said, I worked in at that restaurant in Bloomington for a few years. Um, you know, as a 19, 20, 21 year old kid, 
there's, there's so many people that I know now who are, are that age or maybe a little bit older who seem to have a much further grasp, a better grasp on, on what their goals are and what they want to do. That was never me. Like I said, I never had any real ambition to be in the industry. I just got in the kitchen and realized that I like the work. Yeah. Um, you know, my first several years in the kitchen weren't pastry at all. They were, you know, basically being a savory prep cook. Um, but we did have a baker in that, in that little restaurant who I just kind of worked next to for three years. Um, by the time he left and moved on, they needed somebody to do all that stuff. I had been kind of watching what he had been doing and slid over and started doing that as well. Um, then I moved to a spot in St. Louis again, just, Hey, you know, I'm 24. I, I have no ambition and no design or desire to do anything specific, but I, I found myself needing a job and to, to age myself a little bit, flipping through a newspaper. Um, and seeing who was hiring. And I saw an ad for a pastry cook and I thought, well, I kind of know how to do that. Uh, and it ended up being for a private club uh, in St. Louis, which is no longer there. Um, but yeah, ended up getting that job and, and worked there for four years and learned about doing production for banquets and plated desserts. And I mean, again, that was the early 2000s um, but I was never, I, I didn't know what books to read or who to look at or who to be inspired by. Um, it's all just kind of things that, that I figured out. But the one thing that I did know is I knew how to work, I knew how to show up and put in the hours. Um, the pastry cook that I was working for there was pretty old school and, and kind of classic. So I, I had a pretty good, uh, crash course in in the fundamentals. Uh, so, I mean, in going back to Bloomington, you know, it, it was a small restaurant, it certainly wasn't fine dining or anything like that. Um, but we did do everything in house. Um, so I think without knowing it again, I, I got a really, really good grasp of, of solid building blocks and a solid foundation kind of in cooking and very basic things that, you know, now I think, everything kind of comes at you so fast that it's kind of hard to really focus in on, on a lot of that stuff for a younger cook. I don't know why it's been so long since I've talked to, to young cooks and, and have an idea of what it is that they're learning. But I, I, I think in the age of internet and Instagram and, and everything that a lot of that stuff sort of gets glossed over for the, the shiny object or whatever's happening right now. Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty true. And, pretty much every, every field of anything right now is, sure. is the expectation to, to jump to a level of proficiency without the building blocks being beneath you too. Yeah. I mean, for better or worse, you know, I, I always like to think that the kids are going to be all right. Um, cream will always rise to the top, but it is, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. Yeah. How, how kitchens change from when you I feel like we've been on a little bit of a we've been on a little bit of a journey in the last I mean I'm I'm about 17 years in so I've, I've sure. got I've got some perspective from from my end of things but how, how have you seen kitchens change over the years um, I'm trying to think back to those earlier days 
Um, I mean, you know, there's there's kind of the stereotypical thought of the way kitchens were, you know, with the brigade system and the screaming chef and, you know, it's all the things that you hear about and, and all the stereotypical stuff. Um, and also, I mean, it's it's been so long since I've been in a kitchen like that. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to say. I think I can I can probably speak more for where I want to see kitchens go. Okay, let's do that. Like, um, where, where do you want to? Well, I I mean I, I know what we were trying to create here. Um, is is a place that that cares about its employees and cares about each other. Um, that's certainly something that we've talked about ever since the beginning is just, you know, we've all been in those positions and I know I've heard you talk about it on the podcasts before that, you know, you've, you don't necessarily feel valued as a cook. I mean, I remember, you know, one of those early chefs that I worked for kind of gathering his entire crew together and I don't even remember what the context was, but I do remember very clearly him saying, look, there's not a single motherfucker here that I cannot replace at the drop of a hat. Um, which I think is honestly a really good lesson to learn. You are replaceable. Don't yeah. think that a place is going to fail if you don't show up one day, because the show always goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, as cooks, as chefs, you know, that is, that's the name of the game. Like, it doesn't matter what the day throws at you. People are still coming in. They're still expecting food. They're still expecting service. Um, so you can, you know, you're not irreplaceable. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to feel unvalued. Yeah. Um, you're still showing up every day. You're still putting in the work. You're still a human being. Yeah. Uh, for crying out loud. Um, so for us, that's something that is very, uh, it's a very rudimentary thing that we wanted to make sure that we, that we value the people that, that work here. And yeah, if we have five owners and we all value each other. Um, and, and to that, you know, to that point, this place doesn't work. Honestly, it's, it, this place doesn't work without one of those pieces in place because we all have a different skill set that we bring and and uh that's the foundation that this place is built on you know you move one of those pieces and we have a different place would it operate sure because the show must go on but uh that being said i don't think we would be as happy yeah if we didn't have the people in place that we do um and that goes for you know all the all the hourly people that we have you know all the ownership I think we're really kind of proud. We, you know, we haven't been around for really long, but we definitely feel like we kind of put something special together. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth noting too that you guys opened what a couple months into the uh, pandemic. Like, our our first day open was July twentieth, yeah, twenty twenty. So, so you're already kind of up against an, an interesting situation so i always like to tell people that the day that we signed the dotted line for our final loan uh the following day was the day that all the schools were shut down yeah that so, just it puts a lot of things into context yeah so i i think it's i, I know a couple people that have opened businesses during or right at the beginning of, of 
everything with with COVID, and it seems like it seems like they're just in such a better place than the people that have had to try to pivot a whole operation. Sure, just because you have you have the knowledge of the world is different now. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure it's probably easier to start from scratch and build something based on what your circumstances and surroundings are versus trying to take something that is already in existence and completely, I mean, you know, you, you, you have kind of a reputation or a formula or systems in place and trying to, I mean, I, I, you try and compare it to, to trying to pull a, a hairpin turn with a bus it's not going to happen. Like you have to, you have to move that thing a little slowly as opposed to what we were able to do, which was sort of point ourselves in the right direction from the get go and just step on the gas. Um, but you know, we have, like I said, you know, we, we signed, signed the dotted line and, and then had to figure out how to open. But honestly, our, our business plan always kind of lent itself even without COVID to carry out, um, you know, we were always going to be a, a quick service restaurant. Um, and so, you know, uh, all, essentially really all, all we had to do is remove a few seats, put some, some signs on the floor, make sure we were all wearing masks and had gloves. I mean, it, it wasn't that hard of a, of a change to make for us. Yeah, but I mean, from the time I've, I've known you, that you you seem to be someone that is willing to change with with new information, and the more you learn, the more you you accumulate and, and apply to your your work life. Why are why do you think restaurants are so slow to change in general? Like the the shape of a restaurant hasn't changed that much in the last 50, 60 years. I suppose that's true. So, so I guess coming into something that is fundamentally different, like it feels different when you walk in the back door here, the kitchen feels different, the, the atmosphere, the camaraderie, like it does feel different here. Well, I, I, you could probably speak to that better than I could because I mean, I, you live here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I do pretty much live here. I'm, I mean, you know, for, for the longest time. Uh, all of us owners have been putting in about a hundred hours a week. Uh, I bought three cots just to make sure that we could sleep here if need be. Um, we haven't had to break them out too much, but, um, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, I think it's a couple things really, um, conceptually we're different than anything else that you're going to find in Indianapolis because we're all pastry cooks and bakers. Um, and, you know, you always hear that there's a, you know, there's kind of a difference between people that work in pastry and people that work in savory, um, whether that's true or not. I mean, I think there's a little bit of truth to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I couldn't tell you. It's, you, you kind of want to feel like you're different, but whether you really are or not, I don't know. Um, you know, so that, I think that's kind of why I said it. you could probably speak to that better than I could because I'm, I'm biased. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to quantify so much of that too, but just like, um, 
mutual friend Grant, you know, said sure. something about um, there was no ego in the kitchen. And, and I don't know how much of that's because the ownership structure and like all of you are good at, at different things. And like you said before, like it doesn't work if, if one of those pieces gets pulled out because sure. it's, it's a different business, but it, yeah. And I don't think I can really emphasize that enough. Um, you know, I can run down our ownership structure and kind of who's in charge of what, um, you know, Matt, uh, Steinbron, um, has a brilliant analytical mind. So, I mean, he took on, you know, our, our POS system and our website and beyond just being a really fantastic pastry chef has the ability to, to optimize our systems and to kind of see where roadblocks are going to be and understand what problems we're going to have because his mind is always working on these problems. Um, if we don't have that guy, we don't run as smoothly as we do. Uh, I can't, I can't stress that enough. Um, Jess Cardowich, uh, who does all of our vinoiserie and is fantastic at it and um is you want to tell people what that is if they don't know Vinwasri, sorry uh croissant danish um it's a you know, very very technical very specific skill um laminating dough you know folding folding butter into dough so you've got beautiful flaky croissants she comes in um every single night you know and and makes all this stuff from scratch by hand to make sure. And that's the other thing. I mean, puts in the hours, doesn't complain about anything. And then when all of that's done, uh, we'll go handle, you know, the dish pit, make sure we're clean. And oh, on top of all that runs all of our social media and does all the photography, like juggling a lot of balls and doing it with style. Um, so if we don't have that piece, we don't have half the products that we sell and nobody knows about it. Yeah. Uh, Sam Blythe, who I met uh, working at another place, uh, is kind of, uh, I mean, the guy is so passionate about bread. Um, and God, if there's anybody who puts in more hours than anybody else, it's probably Sammy. Uh, because the, you know, the bread kind of tells you when it's ready. You can't force it to do anything. Um, so you, sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you got to go pull out a cot and take a nap for a little while. Um, but is so passionate about bread um, and does things honestly with bread that I don't really see other people doing, certainly not in town. Um, and I think honestly, he's a really, really special bread baker. Um, we always get super excited when he's excited about something. And we always, you know, love trying everything that he puts out. And then Jesse, his brother, who runs our front of the house, you know, operations, again, here every morning, uh, six o'clock, brewing coffee, um, chatting up customers, selling everything, uh, making sandwiches. Um, God, it's, you know, it's so exciting to see all those pieces kind of fall into place and create something. And then, you know, when I think about all the hours that everybody's putting in again, hundred hours a week for five people, that's 500 hours a week, you know, including myself, I did the math a couple days ago and that's 12 and a half full-time employees. Yeah. We have five people doing the work of 12 people. Yeah. Um, and 
and then it kind of becomes evident to me when I say that on a couple of fronts why we're, we've been as successful as we've been over the first few months of us being open. Um, one, we're saving a lot of money on payroll. Yeah. Because payroll is always the biggest hit you take uh, every month. Um, and I mean, two, it shows that level of care that we're all willing to put into this place. Um, and it's kind of a funny story. I mean, I feel like this, you know, us getting open is, it's, I always refer to it as like, we've all been, you know, when we were opening this place, sort of like we we're all playing a game of chicken. Who's going to pull out first? Is this, you know, like this, this place isn't really going to happen. Um, but then everything kind of started falling into place. We found this location. We ended up getting the location. And then it's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to do this. And then, uh, you know, we started buying equipment. We started finding funding. COVID happened. Um, but throughout all of it, I don't think anybody ever really, there was never any indication that somebody was going to pull away. Um, because I think we all sort of understood what it was that we had and what we were building, and it was the place that we all wanted to be. So we had all worked in jobs before where, going back to what we were saying before, where you didn't feel appreciated. Um, you know, and especially as a pastry cook or a pastry chef, I mean, as an executive chef, you probably understand pastry is not the moneymaker. Right. It's a, it's a luxury for sure. We all understand that, but we also, as a pastry chef, pastry cook, a baker, you understand that you need certain things to do the job that you want to do and that other people want you to do. The difference is we know what the job takes. Um, so if I ask for a specific oven or, uh, you know, a certain tool piece of equipment, um, it has a very certain specific goal um, that I'm trying to achieve. I'm not just going to ask for it, you know, willy nilly. Yeah. Uh, and so being able to get a bunch of like-minded people under one roof, build the kitchen that we wanted to build with those things that we wanted to accomplish in mind. Uh, it's easy to walk through the door every day. It's easy to put in a hundred hours every week because we have optimized this place uh, with those goals in mind. Um, I, I think one of the things I'm hearing is, I, I know there's this, this idea that's been around for a long time that if you're not good at something, you find somebody that is good to, to handle it. Sure. But really, I think what you guys have done with amongst the five of you is you decentralize power to a degree where you don't have one person making a decision you've got you got five people that are capable of making decisions. So you, you have a, a more consistent level minded hive mind behind sure. decisions. So uh, I think that's where you really differ from the traditional restaurant model where you have an owner right. that, that ultimately all the, all the, you know, final decisions lie with them and their shortcomings ultimately are reflected through the rest of the business. If, if they're not willing to accept, someone else's opinion to help them. Right. Well, that's a hundred percent true. Um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, in conceiving of this place, I don't want to make every decision. Yeah. I, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want to have to. And, um, beyond just having 
having you know the five of us involved it's it was also a matter of having to call on those people you know i have a lawyer i have a cpa you know an accountant yeah. to watch our books for us um and being able to call on people and and use them for their advice and their expertise yeah i i don't know anything about you know the the legal aspects of a business i also don't need to because i've got a guy who's going to tell me what i need to do um and as far as you know the five of us under this one roof goes well yeah i mean when it comes to bread i'm gonna defer to the guy who eats sleeps breathes bread um uh, you know when it comes to our pos system yeah man take it you love to do that shit. uh we always like to joke that microsoft excels are his love language you know he he loves making a spreadsheet and cool have I, at it yeah i have the spreadsheet thing <laughs> i really like spreadsheets my my my, I, I, you know, I like to joke about it a little bit. My, my biggest thing in all of this is trying to figure out exactly what it is I bring to the table. Yeah. Um, which I'm still kind of struggling with and figuring out. I always like to say that I'm riding on everybody else's coattails. Uh, I think, I mean, from the, the bit I've been around here, it, it seems like you're kind of the glue that actually kind of holds a lot of it together and allows them to be, you, you kind of are the roundsman of the kitchen. Sure. The, that can help where need be and, and kind of allow them each to do the things that they do best. Sure. The hilarious thing is I honestly, like I barely get to touch pastry. Most of my cooking is all on the savory side of things, um, which, you know, can be frustrating, but also kind of fun sometimes. I mean, and I am certainly no great cook, um, but it's, it's been kind of fun to, to get back into, to that and to have to think a different way. And you know, one of the things that I that I used to always talk about, you know, um, or think about, you know, especially at Cerulean or even a Beholder when I was sitting there on the station waiting for a ticket to come in was, man, I am ready for new challenges. Um, and it took me kind of a little while to find and figure out what I wanted those challenges to be. But, you know, here we are. Um, and it, it certainly has been a challenge, but it's been a good one. It's certainly been uh, a mental exercise. Well, I mean, something we, we always talked about or talked about quite a bit was um, wanting to be part of something cool or awesome yeah. or, or wanting to be part of something that was bigger than what you bring to the table. That, yeah. was, that was always something we talked about, you and I. Um, so I think I think you're you're actually kind of achieving that, and it might mean you're not as involved with pastries or right. whatever. Right, and that's but, fine. Yeah, um, and and to speak to that a little bit, I mean, I I always kind of have the mindset of, you know, when you talk about there's no ego, it's sort of like when Leviathan does well, when its reputation is good, um, and and people know what that means that automatically reflects on all the people that are here. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't feel the need to, to promote it or, or push that or, or feel like I have to put myself in the center of it. Um, because ultimately, you know, if this place does well, if everybody does well, then that's, 
that's great for everybody, including myself. So I'll take it. All right. With that, we're going to have to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back in just a second. Here comes the, uh, the break music right now. Then you'll just have it for your own posterity. You like yeah. that? Remember that time we talked about mental illness? Yeah. I can listen to it over and over again. All right. So we are back. Um, Hello. During the break, Pete and I kind of were just catching up a bit and uh, kind of talking about uh, where he asked me where I was at with with some of my some of my mental illness whatnots and, and just kind of what medication's been doing for me, really. Yeah, I should point out at this point that Alan and I have known each other for, I don't even remember when we started working together, 2013, 2014? 13 or 14, I don't know. We've known each other, been worked pretty closely for a few years. Um, I've always really, really liked Alan and I feel a lot of kinship with this dude. Um, I feel like we've got a lot of similarities, a lot of similar personality traits. I think anybody that knows he and I uh, would probably agree. Yeah. Um, there, there's some brotherliness. Definitely. In, there's, in the, that relationship. The, there's, there's definitely things that I recognize uh, in Alan that I recognize in myself as well. I think some of them manifest in a little bit different ways. Uh, totally. But hey, you know, we're also different dudes. So um, just wanted to say lots of, of fondness for Alan Sternberg. I also think he's one of the best chefs uh if not the best chef in Indianapolis. Oh, so if you. I can blow some smoke for a hot minute, uh, yeah, just wanted to do that. Oh, well, thanks. Um, so you were, you were actually asking me what, what my journey's kind of been like. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm currently on Lexapro for a general anxiety disorder and, and to deal with some of my depression. Um, and yeah. I, was, I was just letting Alan know that I literally went to the doctor today and received a script for the same exact same SSRI that he's been now taking for 10 days or so. Yeah. So looking forward to that. We're SSRI buddies. <laughs> um, and I was just saying, you know, I'm, I'm feeling more even. I, I definitely was suffering a lot from being highs and lows and a lot of lows, a lot more lows than highs, but, but my mood was very unpredictable before like things would set me off that they just they shouldn't have and, sure. and a lot of that was my my anxiousness and, and setting expectations that in my own head and not being not seeing the manifestation of that expectation in real life from other people and, and i ran into a lot of issues with that so that was kind of my my issues um and it, it just made me kind of a, a grumpy person and then i kind of embraced that that yep. grumpy persona for a long time well yeah it sort of becomes oh this is this is who i am i must be this must be who i am yeah and it becomes normal to you right. also like you know i i can remember the last time i felt genuinely happy and it was five years ago it was <laughs> it was do, on, do you remember like do you remember specifically yeah i was on a beach in florida we had just spent a week at disney world and 
It was my first vacation. I remember when you went on that trip. Yeah, it was the very first vacation I had taken as an adult. And prior to that, I had 10 years of working yeah. under my belt with no break. How many, how many vacations have you taken since then? A couple. Yeah. Um, we try to make sure that we, I'm trying to make sure I take time for myself sure. and to give myself time to spend with the family too, because I didn't for a long time. Yeah. And I think that contributed a lot to, to kind of my, my mental state for, for a, a really long time, like not taking the time to worry about myself. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you're, you're looking at ways to, to feel a little bit better. You're saying that you feel, you know, your normal sense of self is melancholy. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, well, it's, I, I like, you know, I was telling my doctor today, and I was thinking about it this morning that when I was, I don't know, elementary school, kindergarten, when I was very young, um, my mom would drop me off at school and for the longest time she would tell me to have a nice day. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what I specifically said. Uh, one day I know I told her, well, you know, like you telling me to have a nice day doesn't mean I'm going to have a nice day, I think was generally the sentiment that I was getting across to her. And so for, you know, we, we still would joke about it on occasion. Now she would start dropping me off at school and saying, don't smile and have a dumb day. Um, which I think made me giggle a little bit because it's certainly, you know, kind of, uh, the opposite message that most kids were probably getting. Um, so it was kind of a way to lighten the mood. Um, but you know, being being that precocious kid and that young and and that sort of uh in tune with that melancholy that young and i think that just kind of is my baseline i mean you work with me long enough you mm -hmm. probably can kind of spot that and it's not to say that i don't have happy moments it's just that i i think whether perceived or real that 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 emotion, that feeling kind of became normal for me. Um, and I just kind of came to the realization that, eh, you know what, I'd, I'd like to try to see if, if maybe that's not the case. Yeah. Um, to just kind of like lighten, you know, to, to get rid of the great, the great cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I, I had originally just kind of realized that I was ready to do some talk therapy, which I've always heard was, you know, I, I know a lot of people that have done it, had had great, um, great things to say about it. It was beneficial to them. Um, and the doctor was just kind of telling me, yeah, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm kind of learning through this whole process. He said, you know, that's all well and good, he said, but if you've got some some chemical issues in your head that you kind of need to iron out first, you know, talk therapy, you know, you're kind of going to be going into it with a different mindset than you would be if you were kind of balanced. So, yeah. and of course, you know, he, he wrote me the script and I mean, again, this all just happened today. And, and my thought process on it was, hey, you know, I, I don't know if I want to take this. I don't. I don't have any experience with it. So I, I start reading and, and wasn't even sure I was going to get the script filled. Um, it's currently sitting at CVS. I can go pick it up tomorrow. Um, 
so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah. I, I know at the very least, um, you know, it's sort of like if you've got a, nag a nagging physical, you know, issue for a while, you just sort of learn to live with it. Um, it's like, you know, hey, my foot hurts all the time. Well, yeah, but it's not slowing me down. I can still keep going. And sometimes you get tired of your foot hurting. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you, when you have a day that it doesn't hurt, you're like, oh my God, like, how have I been dealing with this? Like I, I have arthritis in both sure. my knees and like, okay. there's, there's days that like I woke up yesterday and my knees just didn't hurt for, right. for once. And I'm attributing a lot of that to not being on my feet 90 to hundred <laughs> hours a week right now. Sure. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, when you wake up and your, your knee doesn't hurt, you go, eh, you know what? My knee doesn't hurt today. I don't really need to worry about it Yeah, because sometimes it's fine. Um, but the reality is, eh, you know what? It's going to come back. Yeah. So maybe you should go get that shit checked out. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing at a time. I know. One thing. I know. Um, but, but I think, I think some of this is just like being able to identify that within yourself is, is something of a level of maturity that, you know, even going back to the business here, like in, in your role within the business, like being self-aware only, I think makes you a better owner and partner sure. within that. And I, I imagine it also helps in, in home life as well to, to be at least self-aware of, of things that you want to better for yourself. It's an ongoing process for sure. I mean, some days you win, some days you lose. Um, I think self-awareness is definitely something that I have, but you know, I always like to say there's a huge difference between knowing something and feeling it. Um, you, sometimes you can separate the two. Sometimes you can't. Um, but yeah. And I mean, another thing that I was thinking about it, there's a, especially, you know, on the podcast, I've heard you talk about, you know, the industry and mental health. It's certainly an ongoing conversation. Um, but um, I've kind of been thinking too, it's sort of like, Mental health um, is such a huge thing that that people kind of need to deal with in general. Um, the industry doesn't necessarily help things, but if you're prone to depression, if you're prone to anxiety or whatever else it is you're dealing with inside the industry or, or out of it, um, you know, if, if I worked in an office job, I'd still be the same dude. Mm -hmm. It might manifest a little bit differently. Um, so I think just, you know, being aware of, of the, the whole mental health problem in people in general um, is something that, that needs to be paid closer attention to. And also kind of speaking on the same subject, what a luxury we have to be able to be aware of our problems with mental health um, and to dedicate resources and time to it because there's so many people uh, who don't have the resources available to them, uh, whether, you know, you don't have the money or you know, you don't have the time or you're just not self-aware enough. Uh, I don't know. I could probably end up saying something to get me in trouble uh, when talking about this, but it is a luxury to be able to 
be aware of your own mental health and the problems that you're having with it and to be able to do something about it. Yeah, I, I think we're also in a, a time and age where like, you know, physical health at, at different points in history has been a point of contention where you didn't want to let people know you were disabled in any way because sure. uh, of negative outlooks. And that's kind of where we've been with mental health for a long time. So the more we, I, I, I see a day that, you know, we can talk about mental health the same way that we can talk about, oh, my knee hurts. Yeah. Like it, it just can become a common, it can be a common thing that, that doesn't have to be hidden or, or shrouded or. Do you ever talk to your kids about it? Yes, I do. Cause my daughter, my daughter has a lot of kind of those precursor signs of things that I struggled with when I was her age. Sure. And so we talk a lot actually with, with the kids about what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Um, because I want to be, I'd rather be a role model to them sure. and say, you know what, this is okay. But like, we also have to address it. We can't, we can't just have an outburst and not have like an understanding of, of what's going on. Right. And well, it's like, I, I, I talked to my daughter a little bit about it and I kind of explain it like this. It's sort of like, you know, especially when you're a kid, you go to the doctor every year, you have a checkup to make sure that you're developing and growing the right way and that everything is, you know, that you're a healthy kiddo. Um, we always check up on our bodies. We don't always check up on our heads. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding that that is a special, uh, type of doctor and a special type of medicine. And you just want to, to make sure that you're growing and, and experiencing things, uh, in the, in the right ways and, and seeing like what kind of person you're developing into. And, and if you're, if you're brain healthy, um, and I think she gets it, you know, she's honestly not, we can always edit this out, but she's, you know, a 10 year old kiddo who's got a therapist that she's going to talk to a few times. Um, so, uh, I, but I think that's a very healthy, that is a much healthier state to be in than to just have deniability of sure. of what your children are going through because because those children are going to grow up they're going to be full people they are full people already right. um just because they're not fully matured doesn't mean that they're marginalized in any capacity right. and and i i think I think restaurants are a great way, you know, going back to, it doesn't matter if you're in a restaurant or an office or whatever career, like restaurants have just been traditionally a great place to hide some of those demons that you deal with. And, sure. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of permissions you're given within a restaurant to cope with them through whatever means. So I, I think, I think it, it, it is maybe exasperated in our industry because we are so permissive of of drug and alcohol culture and sure. because we, we sell alcohol, like we, like that is part of what we do. Yeah. I mean, I remember working one of the places that I worked in Chicago and there was a line cook who had a bottle of vodka in his low boy that he would duck back and take long poles off of mid service. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I used to work with the cook that he only worked mornings because after about two o'clock, he couldn't function. Like he, he actually couldn't function without drinks. Right. And there was a, 
it, it was at a sports bar when I was in college, but he was, there was one day he was at the end of the bar after his shift, which is what he did every day. And he was writing checks and someone said, oh, are you writing bills at the bar? It's like, kind of, and he's trying to pay off his liquor store tab. <laughs> and, and like, that's just something that just never left my head that, that like, it can be so encompassing and like, I don't, and it was okay. Like no one there was like, oh my God, dude, right. you need help. Um, it was just like, and it was just some a joke. Like probably celebrated. Yeah. It was just a joke and, and they gave him his next round and you know, it just, it just continued on. And like, well, another part of that too, is if, I mean, if you still, sh if you show up to work and you do the job and you're reliable, nobody gives a shit how you show up. Nobody gives a shit what, you know, it's, I, again, you show up sick, you, you know, you still go to work. Um, it's that, that mentality of, of kind of being a warrior. And it's, it's kind of funny to me, funny, not funny. Um, kind of the, the pride that, that cooks have for the job that they do. And, and I'm one of them, you know what I mean? It's sort of like that whole mentality of, ah, you know what, we're a special breed. Yeah, but also kind of not. I mean, there's a lot of cooks out there. There's a lot of restaurants. Um, and I get it. I mean, you kind of want to feel like uh, you're doing something that not everybody can do. And to a certain extent, that's true. Um, but, you know, you, you put in your time. Like, yeah, pretty much anybody can kind of, again, there's not a single motherfucker I can't replace. Yeah. Um, and I've got a lot of fondness for cooks and a lot of fondness for kitchens. Um, but I, I, I try and, and keep it all in perspective too. How, how do you, as a business owner, as a chef, as a cook, like what's your philosophy on, on dealing with those people that when you see them, they, you know, I know you want to create a better space to see people as people sure um but like how do you what what's your advice on on dealing with people that are are suffering like how how much do you have you been able to identify that and how much is it just kind of i mean uh, certainly i'm i'm only a, a few short months into being a fully operational um, business owner um part of it is you know, I, I always say the most important job we have as owners and as managers, and you can speak to this, is, is hiring, um, is kind of taking the time and finding the people uh, that are going to fit within the structure of what we're doing here. We're going to fit within our team. So, I mean, we're a small little business. It's a pretty tiny family. So, um, if any of those pieces are, are a little wonky or if the fit just isn't there, I, we, we feel it from the opening, you know, from our front doors to our back door. Um, and I haven't really had to deal with too many issues uh, in terms of anybody being in a bad place. Um, but there has been, you know, one or two little things that it's sort of like, all right, well, here's this situation. Um, how are you going to handle it? Um, and I can speak to when those, when those challenges arise, um, we have been able to 
to look at those situations and, and, and kind of balance what our needs as an operational business are versus the needs of what our employees are. Um, and fortunately, because of our ownership structure and the fact that we do have so many people willing to able to step in wherever need be, if somebody needs a day, a week, uh, somebody calls in, um, we're able to shift things around and adjust on, kind of on the fly. So if, if somebody in front of house needs to not be here, cool. Somebody that works, you know, in the kitchen, who's usually a baker, who's, you know, on hour number 14 will come out and, and handle business where it needs to be. Um, so we are, you know, we're lucky in that way. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons why our structure works. What, what's the goal for Leviathan and for you and where, where do you want to be? Um, I mean, our, our goal ultimately was just to build a place that we wanted to be, um, in a number of ways. Is it a place that we want to work? And is it a place where if we were not working, would we want to come hang out? Yeah. I think we've accomplished that. Um, we've always said we don't want to open up Leviathan two. We don't want another retail location. Um, if we do anything, we would like to open up, find space to do wholesale production and really ramp up our ability to sell to other restaurants or catering companies or things like that. Um, at this point right now, we're pretty maxed in terms of what we can execute in terms of wholesale versus still providing, you know, bread for our own shelves and and things like that. So it, it happened, I think, a lot quicker than we were anticipating, uh, like so many other things did. But that's that's the goal. Um, I think if we move towards anything, it, it would be that. Uh, beyond that, yeah, just a place where where we can come, work, you know, make the things we make, make people happy. Um, give somebody a cool place to come in, plug in their laptop, work all day here if they want. I got no problems with that. You know, if you want to come in and and uh, work on the next great Hollywood script here or whatever it is you're working on, it, those are always the kind of places that I like to go and, and haunt. Um, and, you know, I think we, we have been kicking around the idea of opening up a little bit later and staying open a little bit longer during the day and seeing if there's any interest in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, slow and incremental growth and things that make sense. Uh, at least locally, I know you, you've kind of made your name on plated desserts. Do you miss that at all? For sure. And, and that's certainly something that we've kicked around doing not all the time, but you know, when we, you know, especially me and Matt together, when we get that, that wild hair or something that we want to do. Yeah, we've got our own space. We can do whatever we want. That's the beauty of it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Let's uh, let's run a, some plate of desserts uh, so I can come in and get my Quinell spoons, you know, working again. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's one of the questions that I get kind of a lot is, is you know, you, you made your name in Indianapolis doing plate of desserts. How is that going to translate to what you're doing now? Well, it's... One of the things I've done, been, been at this for quite a while. Honestly, if there's anything that I could kind of draw a parallel to, this place is probably closest to 
the very first place that I ever actually ended up working. Um, so it's it's not a very far stretch for me to kind of go back and and kind of get back into that old mindset again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, so. So, uh, what's next, Alan? For me or for, for, <laughs> for, for the conversation? For the conversation now. What else What else we got going on? Man, I don't even know. I, I, it's it's hard to sit down and talk sometimes when you know someone so well. Cause... There's a lot of things that, that sort of, um, there's a shorthand when you've known somebody for a while. Um, so, yeah, like saying, all right, we're going to push the start button and then we're going to start having a conversation. Uh, is really unnatural. Yeah. So here we are having a conversation. So what are are the things you've done that you're the most proud of? Like if, you know, I I imagine opening this place is definitely high on that list. For sure. Um, But, but when you look back, when, when you're at the, when you're at the end of, of Pete, what are the things that you're going to look back and, and be like, man, that was, that was awesome. That was cool. That was something. There's definitely of. things that I've had fun doing. Um, you know, our, our time at Cerulean was great. Uh, in hindsight, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you don't necessarily know what you've got until you don't have it again. Um, so that that was a place that I got to do a lot of things. I got to compete in some national competitions. Cool. Uh, I got to cook at the James Beard house. You know, it's it's like those those little things. And you got to cook at the James yeah. Beard house. And I mean, you know, sort of like you get to check that off your list. You know, I was a featured chef at the James Beard house. Cool. You know what? Um, shortly after we opened Leviathan, I was behind the restaurant shoveling garbage into a trash can um, because it hadn't been picked up and cleaned up for a while. Uh, so there's those cool little perspective things. It's like, yeah, yeah. All that cool stuff that you got to do, you still got to show up every day and do the job. Uh, it's the, the glamorous life of a business owner. I've got a, I've got a friend that always tells me that success is, is really dependent on how you define it. So I, I, I think that's tangential to, to what you're saying right there is, sure. is your perspective informs so much of, of the way you, you know, perceive those things. Well, you know, sort of like, okay, I could go back to like episode one, cause I've listened to all, all two episodes all of the two. podcast that have been released so far. But I know you were talking with, uh, with our other friends, uh, Esteban and Gabriel about kind of like James Beard nominations and stuff like that and awards and, and, you know, uh, press and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's some people that chase that kind of thing. Um, and it's nice when you have your accomplishments acknowledged and it's cool. Um, to me, it was always in service of the business, not necessarily even this business, but, um, it's sort of like, okay, you know, if, if, if you get a certain amount of notoriety, you're more employable. Um, so that, that was always, you know, it, it was never something that I was, that I was chasing for 
the sake of achieving anything. And let's face it, I mean, I'm never going to get a James Beard nod for Best Pastry Chef. Um, and that's fine. And, and I don't want it, don't need it, don't ever really look at the list when it comes out, hoping that my name's on there because it's just not in the realm of possibility. Um, but all that being said, it's sort of like, again, if, if uh, Monthly wants to write an article or, you know, you get a little bit of notoriety or you go do a competition or something like that, all that is going to reflect better on Leviathan. Um, so everything is in service to uh, making sure that people know that they can come here and get quality pastry and quality bread um, because then if Leviathan does well, that means I get to, you know, cut checks for 12 people every two weeks. Um, I get to keep doing the thing that I like to do. That's really kind of what it boils down to is everything you do allows you to keep doing more and continuing on, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> You guys were just written up in, is it Pastry Arts? Or what yes. was, yeah. You know, a little blurb in Pastry Arts Magazine. Congratulations. Shout out Tish Boyle. <laughs> um, you know, what else, what else is happening around here? What, you guys have anything coming um, up that you're excited about? Or? So, okay, this is cool. At the end of the month, uh, October 30th, we have a pop-up featuring two witches who are opening a uh, kind of, a, I guess you would call it a, a Wiccan slash occult shop here in town. Uh, a couple friends of ours uh, are trying to get their business off the ground and reached out to us to see if they could uh, do some tarot readings and auction off some boxes and, and stuff like that. And it's, um, I'm glad you asked, honestly, because it kind of goes back to one of the things that Another reason why this place exists is when you have a venue, when you're a business owner, when you have a space, um, your opportunity to help other people grows. Um, so if you'll take a look around our interior, you'll see a large mural that was done by a local artist. You'll find, you know, uh, stoneware mugs that were thrown by a local potter. You'll find candies that were made by, you know, an Indianapolis candy maker. Um, art prints, everything. So it's sort of like, how can beyond just, you know, creating a community, communal space where people can come and eat and enjoy and get something delicious, how can we use what we've created uh, to help other people in our community um, kind of have a venue for what they want to do? Um, so again, you know, we're maybe going to bring in some other local cooks and chefs and if, if I've got a commercial kitchen that you can cook out of and do a pop-up here or do a dinner or whatever you want to do, uh, you know, I don't have a full line, so it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but that, those kinds of things were, have always been, I think, important to all of us. You know, when, again, when you get five business owners around a table, um, you talk about what's important to you. Everybody, you know, from top to bottom wants to use this space. Uh, not just to help ourselves, but to provide something that is missing or another opportunity for more creative people. Um, we just want to surround ourselves with creative types and, and allow them to do those things that they want to do. 
Yeah. So. Awesome. I mean, I feel like that's it's the root of hospitality, right? Like, it's taking care of other people, but also being able to invite someone in and and welcome them. So for sure. Um, thank you for your time today. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you in Leviathan? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Leviathan Bakehouse, we're at 1101 North College on the corner of 11th and College. Plenty of ample parking. That's in Indianapolis. If, Indianapolis, If you're Indiana, listening outside of Indianapolis. Uh, 46202, if you want to send us anything, uh, no letter bombs, please. Uh, social media? Uh, social media at Leviathan Bakehouse on Instagram. I think we have a Twitter. I don't know that we do anything on it. Gotcha. Um, what about your personal? Uh, at Pete Inc. on Instagram. I haven't posted anything new on there in quite a while. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely check those out. And uh, again, Pete, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Alan. Um, it's uh, always cool to hang out. Yeah. If, if you haven't been to Leviathan, get down here. If, if you have been, get back get down, down here. here again. So you guys are closing on Mondays now too, right? Closed on Mondays, Tuesday through Saturday, you know, Tuesday through Saturday, 7 to five Sundays, eight to three. All right. Now that we got all the, all the business done. Um, thanks again. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Pete, for, for chatting with me, um, giving me an hour on a, one of your first days off you've had in a while. It, it means a lot to me to be able to connect with you and just be able to sit down and have a conversation. Cause we don't get a, we don't get to talk as much as we used to. Um, definitely it was a lot easier when we worked together and you know, just go sit in pastry and chat for an hour was was kind of a regular routine. So it felt kind of normal to, to just sit down and, and talk. Um, tonight is election night. So I hope everybody got out and voted and voted early and safely if you could. Uh, hopefully we have the best result possible out of this election. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm pretty anti Donald Trump. So if you disagree with me, you know, that's your opinion. But I, I think our industry has been uniquely um, affected by the coronavirus and the lack of response. Um, I think we're an industry made up of immigrants and and a group of people that largely uh, it takes inspiration from different ethnic groups from around the world. So any amount of inequality definitely affects the restaurant industry. Um, but I'm not going to harp on it too much. You know, I, I think most people pretty much have their minds made up at this point on who they're voting for, what they're voting for. Um, so yeah, I will say last night I, uh, I did a catering event at a, or in a restaurant kitchen. It's the first time I've spent, you know, 12 plus hours in a restaurant kitchen since COVID really start, it started. And, uh, I forgot how much I missed the noise of a kitchen, like the buzz of the hood and just kind of the, you know, a convection oven fan going and, and just, you know, there's a quietness when you're when you're home and you're not working or you're doing these small caterings that you they're just it's just a different atmosphere and and I just kind of miss it. I'm really looking forward to getting back to work, um, and, and hopefully we'll find something soon to kind of you know find myself again. I think this project, along with just the time I've been allotted uh, during coronavirus, that has really allowed me to kind of figure out who I am a good bit more and 
and refocus me. I think we needed that or I needed that in my career. And taking that little bit of a break has been kind of a godsend because I was really lost at the beginning of this. And I really felt like I was just kind of, I was just kind of treading water for a long time. So I'm really hoping that I can kind of get back to, get back to the work and, and find the, you know, the safest way possible, but also in a way that's satisfying to me. Um, and I think you'll, you'll hear that in the podcast too. So if you have any uh, recommendations for people you want me to talk to, shoot them my way. Definitely looking for as many perspectives as possible. I, I've got a couple interviews lined up coming up that I'm excited about. Some people that are very different from myself. And, you know, I think that's, but you know, that's what I'm here for is to grow community and culture within the city and within the, our business as a whole. So hopefully I get that opportunity to continue to talk to more people. I appreciate everybody that's, uh, that's reached out to me in the past and, you know, feel free to continue to do so. Our Instagram is um, at one letter in three podcasts. Uh, find us on whatever podcatcher you're using. Please give us a five star rating. Please share with your friends. Uh, Instagram is the easiest way to contact us. And like I said, definitely share as much as you can. It, it helps us grow the most. Um, is word of mouth it, is always the strongest way to advertise. So you have to uh, help us if you want us to keep going and keep growing. So thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.